You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I covered the Manson trial back in 1970. There were 12 of us, three networks, three local stations, or four in Los Angeles, AP, UPI. We'd go out to the hall outside the courtroom, and they didn't have TV inside, but we would call in our stories. Um, O.J. Simpson had 3,000. <laughs> so that really tells it all. I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. He's had a wonderful career within media, spent four decades educating us in many different ways, uh, but he's also looking at some of the broader problems we face as a nation, uh, sustainable beef farming as an example, uh, but other areas of interest of his have included how to resuscitate communities that may have been left out in the cold, and how to create programming that's viable, interesting, and for that reason, successful. Bill Curtis, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Oz. Good to be here. I, I, I'm curious. You, you were born in Florida, uh, raised in Kansas. How'd you end up in media? Well, my dad was in the Marines, so that's how I was born in Florida uh, very early on. Mm -hmm. And uh, he moved around, but he was from Kansas, so we wound up in Kansas, and there I was in Independence, Kansas, town of 10,000, uh, with one radio station, 250 <laughs> watts. So when I was a sophomore in what high is that, school... Is that 250 watts big or small? Small. About small. as small as you can get. <laughs> and uh, high school, uh, 16, I kind of had a deep voice. Mm -hmm. and, you, you have a great voice. Went Very down memorable. to the local radio station and uh, got a job. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, except for uh, Marine Reserves, um, why I've been working in radio. Never any formal training, but you, so, you just use your voice, and it's done very well for me. So by the time I got in and out of law school in 1966, I had 10 years' experience. Um, so it was a big decision, mm -hmm. law or media. Mm -hmm. Now, in those days, um, media wasn't the media we know today. There wasn't really even a stable 
News Network. Uh, by 66, yes, we were covering the Vietnam War. Yes, uh, they were uh, had covered the civil rights movement. But basically, they were learning the tools. And the radio guys, the Murrow guys, were transitioning to Cronkite. And the TV guys. So um, it was a hard decision whether to stay in law. And then, as I was studying for the bar, a tornado came through town. And somebody asked me... This is in Kansas. In Kansas. Had asked me to come and substitute for them. Mm -hmm. And so I went out. Uh, I was on the air. The tornado was sighted. I gave the alarm. It blasted through Topeka the capital of the state, most destructive to that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, CBS saw me, and it was terrible for the community, but my big break right. in the media. So I said, God is showing me a sign, do not practice law. And I, uh, have, I've worked 30 years for CBS. And you went to Chicago and then ultimately to New York. Yes. So mm-hmm. how is media different now than it was 40 years ago? And I ask because, you know, interestingly, we, we've talked, we were talking to Anderson Coopers yes. recently, and uh, you know, his, he, he's a very different kind of news deliverer mm-hmm. than what I grew up with. And we're sort of talking about how the way that the media portrays information has changed, in part because the American people look for it in different ways. They do. Uh, the proliferation of media. First of all, we didn't have any cable when I started in. Mm-hmm. So now you have four, at least, 24-hour news networks. There are now, this is interesting, twice as many women going into television news mm-hmm. as men. Is that right? Yes. This is at Northwestern University and all the other studies. You say, why? I don't know. Huh. It's very interesting. Uh, so guys should go. It's a good, good place to meet women. <laughs> the numbers are on your side. <laughs> and they're having trouble actually finding male anchors. Is that a shock? Yeah. But here's a good example of uh, how it's changed. I covered the Manson trial back in 1970. There were 12 of us, three networks, Three local stations or four in Los Angeles, AP, UPI. We'd go out to the hall outside the courtroom. They didn't have TV inside, but we would call in our stories. Um, O.J. Simpson had 3,000. <laughs> so that really tells it all. The media has become a force to be reckoned with, which can change news stories. Also, it's the notion which... Uh, I'll argue against myself here in a moment, of the white male anchor being replaced by someone like Anderson, who is in the field, uh, loose, uh, talking to you rather than delivering from on high. Right. Now, um, Charlie Gibson at ABC is now ruling the roost among the network anchors. Right. But I think it's a product of his, his older audience. Anderson Cooper has a younger audience. Yep. Everybody wants the younger audience if you're in the advertising business, but today you talk about media, new media. You have radio, mm-hmm. you have satellite radio, mm-hmm. you have a combination of internet and radio. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that combination, you're really not very uh, much with it, right. if you will. And television is almost an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know the conversation uh, going on at local television stations is whether there will be broadcast over-the-air television in the future. Won't it all be over your computer. There's something to be said for a limited number of channels. And, and although there's four cable news channels and you know the three big networks still exist, now it's still much fewer choices than going to the web. So there's, I would think, some value of a communal approach to delivering news. I mean, for good or for bad, when Walter Cronkite gave you the news, that was the news. That's what happened. You know, and maybe we were perhaps naive in seeing it that way. There was this community experience. 
Uh, I think network news was born during one of those Kennedy assassinations when they blew away all commercials for four days. Mm -hmm. We all sat in front of the television set and shared that experience. Mm -hmm. It used to be uh, conventions to see our political process at work. Remember when you listened to the World Series yes. in the classroom? Yes. No more. I know. I remember that. I still remember that. I was I was in Delaware, and the Orioles were playing. Oh. I think it must have been the 1969 or 1970 World Series. And I remember they would break the class. We would actually oh, sit Oh, it was great. And, well, <laughs> and the games were in the afternoon. So, so that, there are some nostalgic elements to that. But there's, uh, I think, some pluses to having the plethora of news outlets because you get to hear the news in many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the biggest mistakes that the news media made in the 60s and perhaps 70s in delivering information? What could have been done differently? Well, we learned then. For instance, don't turn your lights on during a riot. Uh, <laughs> you know, don't. We, we, we were building the rules in those days. Mm -hmm. CBS had a blue book, and it was literally written by the guys out in the field and mm -hmm. the executives. Uh, for instance, in an interview, uh, we're used to doing reverses, which is using one camera, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and you will move it to the other side, and uh, reverse questions are asked not during the interview, right. but after the interview. We got in trouble for that because it's different. Right. Uh, one way, but uh, not the other. So, uh, here, let me give you four or five things that we learned. Chasing someone down the street mm -hmm. makes them look guilty. Yes. It's called an ambush interview. Um, <laughs> so, God hope, I, I, I always said, I hope he's guilty because yes. uh, he looks guilty and yes. we make him look guilty, but it's enter entertainment. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, Mike Wallace started that. He stopped it. We did an investigative report looking at the techniques used. Mm -hmm. He stopped it, and, and it's no longer really uh, mm -hmm. in vogue, yeah. especially for young reporters. We learned, and Larry Craig's uh, problems uh, with his uh, bathroom uh, sex scandal um, uh, would be a good example. We learned that you can entrap very easily, mm. that if you set yourself up and in the slightest way encourage someone to commit a crime, you're not really observing a crime, you're encouraging it. Yeah. So yeah. you have to be very careful. Um, and, and a number of those techniques. Uh, so those are things that... What, what, what do you love the most about what you see today in, in news media? The immediacy all around the world. And, and we have become, with qualifications, sort of the, um, the venue of truth, if mm -hmm. you will. If something happens, even the wildest and most remote event, you go immediately to your television set and you expect to see it. Right. So that's, that's don't, terrific. Don't you feel that sometimes we create news? I, yes. I get very frustrated when I, I see us focus on material that's mundane. It just has no impact and to benefit anybody. Yes, here's the drawback when you have so many outlets, is that you can make the mundane seem important. Mm -hmm. And during that time, and now the, the Jay Leno example during Paris Hilton, I mean, he used it on his show. Right. Here is Paris Hilton. And we have her coming out of the house. She's just about ready. We're going to cut away for a bulletin from New York, but we'll stay on this story of Paris leaving her house to go to jail. <laughs> cut away to tell us that Peter Pace has resigned uh, and is being replaced as chief of staff. And we'll have more on that in the evening news. Right now, let's get back to Paris Hilton, who is just getting in the car. We're all fine. And there is the, the mass following her along. That's crazy. That's insane. <laughs> so now there is a survey that is, is going to be 
studying the amount of substantive, especially international news, that we are not getting. And there are some people who feel we are the least yeah. informed people in the world. Yeah. And you've seen it. You go overseas, and what do they lead with? What happens at the United Nations? Right. They're in tune. You come back here, and you think it's a different country. Yep, yep. <laughs> it is remarkable, actually, when you look at how different our perceptions are of what's going on in America uh, from what other people think is going on in America. And, of course, our perspective on overseas events are always biased by who we are. We, it, you know, that's not unusual, but we, I don't think we're getting the kind of robust information. There's this shield or, or, a, or a filter mm-hmm. that seems to have to pass through the, quote, establishment. Right. Uh, now, the alternatives are out there in the form of blogs, but boy, you have to hunt for them. Yeah, and absolutely. go to your special ones. Since you've got so much perspective on it, what do you think was the biggest story in the latter part of the 20th century? Well, walking on the moon, of course. Um, we forget that. that yeah. was I, actually, I, I completely forgot that. Yeah, 1968. 69. 69. Yeah, you, know, you know why I say it? Because it was my wife's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> well, 68 was perhaps the biggest news year yeah. because right here in Chicago, we had riots. Yeah. Uh, with King's assassination. Then we had Bobby Kennedy assassinated, followed by the Democratic Convention just a few blocks away from the studio. Mm-hmm. That was a fulcrum, a turning point for the war in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Nixon went on to be elected. You have Watergate to mm-hmm. follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, are two. I live in, in that world. But you certainly couldn't say... I, I would not measure the volume of news about a single story. Mm-hmm against the importance of that story. Good point. For instance, uh, you know, Paris Hilton, uh, Lindsay <laughs> Lohan. We, we are obsessed by, <laughs> these, by celebrity news. It's as if we've been taken over not only by fast food, mm-hmm. by over-salted, over-sugared, right. over-processed. It's entered the media information stream. That's a great point. Do you, do you feel, speaking of over-salted, over-sugared, <laughs> like, which is a, a great metaphor of what's going on, do you, do you feel that the media biases the public? Or do you think that's overstated by the right and the left. Bias carries a meaning um, that that connotes having a a particular bent, a kind of side, one side that it's uh, leaning toward. I don't think that's true. I think it's the volume and the editorial choices that, you know, would point us toward listening to, uh, let's say, Paris Hilton instead of what's happening in Iraq or a backgrounder on some other serious stories. That really is the problem. There's lots more where that came from, but first, a quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Let's take a moment to breathe. 
deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. We were with Bill Curtis, uh, someone I've been a fan of for my whole life, and I can say that literally, and uh, rapidly becoming a fan in his uh, new endeavors. The newest one on media is New Explorers. Tell me about it. Well, it's a PBS series, um, still running in many uh, quarters. Uh, we did about 100 of those shows, hmm. a science adventure series. We were doing global warming 15 years ago. Is that right? Before anybody cared. <laughs> <laughs> and we sounded the alarm. We went to every country in South America, uh, 8,000 feet down in the Atlantic uh, mm -hmm. to the Pacific seam that runs around the country. And so we were sort of the junior high to Nova's high school. And people are still using the videotape when there were videotapes instead right, of DVDs. Right, right. And so it was probably the best uh, stuff I've uh, done and but you got some, some, some governmental support for the endeavors. We did. The DOE, Department of Energy, uh, put a lot of money into education. And right here in Chicago, uh, we had the big museums all participating, right. buses down to the headquarters of the base camps, and they're still using the tapes. So are, are the kids in our high schools and middle schools now still getting programs made of this nature? Some of it, yes. But, you know, the technology has changed. We've failed to keep up. The technology now must be delivered, I mean, the material delivered on, on the Internet, so that you can just download everything. It's really remarkable, uh, the access that they are having to science. Uh, I don't know why the scores continue to trail, but... <laughs> I'm not sure all the kids... I, I think the scores trail because some kids are doing okay, but a lot aren't. Yeah. So I suspect some kids aren't getting the programming. Yeah. Let me segue, because I want to talk a little bit about some of your current endeavors, um, but do it by talking about Vietnam. So in 75, you were posted in Saigon. How, does, how do they do that, by the way? They just call you up and say, hey, by the way, you have to ticket tomorrow, you know, co <laughs> coach well, class I, to Saigon. I was in uh, correspondent out of Los Angeles for CBS News. Um, and by 75, I really had come back to Chicago. And uh, we saw the North Vietnamese coming down the coast. So I thought that I would slip in and do some Chicago-connected stories over there. Uh, we in Chicago were sending money from the Catholic Archdiocese for the refugees. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I made it two weeks before it fell and oh, was great. able to do um, a variety of things from orphanages to uh, a flight into Phnom Penh. One of the last babies of the orphan lift I put on the plane... Uh, had a crew shooter as she came off in Chicago, went to a family in South Bend, and she's now 32. Oh, you're kidding me. And it's Miss Saigon. Oh. Uh, she had a great voice. She wanted to sing for the president. All of a sudden, one day, she said, called me and said, not long ago, I want to go home. And, uh, wow. <laughs> um, and so I said, well, go home to find your biological mother? Yes. Well, you know, that's common for right. adopted children. Right. So we took out a search. Uh, over there by taking out ads in Vietnam. 
and looking for her family. And lo and behold, we had someone come forward. So now we're in the process of matching DNA. Oh, that is so cool. To see if it pays off. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> you forget about their adults do. now. It's a, it's a generation and a half oh, ago. Oh, you, you know, and, and the kids there... You know, when I went back in 80, most of the country was under 25. So they, don't, they could care less about the war. Right, exactly. They're on the computers right. and English and making money. And they're, right. you know, the most industrious people in the world. Extraordinarily, extraordinarily. So you go through this incredible career, really one of the leaders in journalism in the nation. Uh, and for a lot of folks, you have plenty to talk about and write about for the rest of your career. Instead, you take these lessons that you've learned and you start a cattle company. What was what that in the world? Yeah, what is going on? Chicago Tribune says, Wild Bill has gone crazy down there. <laughs> and they're right. What happened? <laughs> well, I had um, backgrounded myself uh, through the New Explorers on global warming and sustainability and the environment and all the problems we have. So I wanted to do something. Uh, I hit um, 65, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm now 66, and had the bulk of my career behind me. Mm -hmm. And I made a discovery. I'm an investigative reporter. I had bought a ranch uh, in Kansas uh, to restore the prairie and mm -hmm. hold it. And then I discovered this new health food, a package, new uh, nutrition that had all these remarkable properties. And it was strictly like you would review the data right. on these things. And it was grass-fed beef. I said, beef, cattle? And as I started looking into how we're raising cattle today with hormones and uh, antibiotics, mm -hmm. and how everything can be reversed to a positive simply by feeding grass, leaving them on the pasture. I said, I've got to do this. So I stepped out of a role of a neutral observer, which I'd been all my life, mm -hmm. said, I'm going to do something. I wanted to want to get in the game. Right. And so this journey for me was spiritual and led me to um, this product uh, that we call a tall grass beef. Um, it is good for the environment because the cattle never leave the pasture. They fertilize next year's crop. Right. Good for the family farmer because really our herds are small mm -hmm. um, that we buy from. It's good for our health, you know, and just eliminating uh, the, the grain, the corn, right. the growth hormones, the antibiotics is a great start because now you're creating the right kind of fat. It has essential fatty acids in it, mm -hmm. omega-3, omega-6 in the right balance, CLAs, conjugated linoleic acid, right. which now are the darlings, and we don't have the final reports on them, but they're thought to be cancer uh, fighters. So what percentage fat is the tall grass beef that you make? We're lean. We're much leaner, of course, than uh, a corn-fed animal. Um, and that's what makes corn-fed animals taste good, of course. Right. It started 60 years ago during World War II when the government had a surplus of corn, gave it to the ranchers, ranchers fed the livestock with it. Hmm. And in that 60 years, the agribusiness, the beef industry, has completely turned on its head. And now most of our cattle in the fast food and steaks come from giant feedlots, 250,000 at a time down in Texas, huh. uh, and our process into this enormous uh, kind of feed bin that we go to the trough every night. So uh, the percentage of fat, we're, we're, we're much lower in, in saturated fat, if lower you, in cholesterol. The, the amount of time that it takes to, to, to get a cow to the age of slaughter in a regular process versus these tall grass processes. Reg regular feedlot, mm -hmm. uh, they harvest 
at 14 to 18 months, usually around 14 months. Uh, the economics are good for the rancher and for the feedlot operator because, um, you know, you can move more cattle. Right. And that's on volume, how they make their money. For us, it's longer. It's 18 to 24 months. But we leave them on the, on the grass and they mature naturally, mm-hmm. which means they develop marbling naturally. You have to leave them there. So it's a little more expensive. But that's why. It means a little more expensive, meaning that the average person wouldn't want to buy the extra. No, they do. We're developing a market, and a lot of people are willing to pay simply for the health benefits. And, of course, one challenge was the taste. Mm -hmm. In the past, grass-fed beef has had uh, kind of a bad uh, name because it hasn't tasted very good. It's like a wild animal. Right. Uh, And we found that it was the genetics we so cross-breed our animals that we're coming up with new species all the time. Well, we have gone back to select the original English breeds with line breeders from Montana down to Mount Florida that while the rest of the country was moving in one direction, they said, we're going to maintain this. So our genetics go back to those original cattle that came over on the Mayflower. And we find that all cattle evolved on grass. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that at all. And they thought they evolved on corn, for God's sake. So we find that the right genetics enabled them to fatten tenderly on grass and rather quickly on grass. And we use ultrasound, just like you do in the cardiovascular (laughs) unit. And we'll put that wand on the shoulder muscle of a calf, about 900 pounds, we get a readout on a computer that we have back to pick up into the stall, mm-hmm. and we can see a living ribeye steak hmm. and count the marbling that is developing. And our, uh, our CEO, Alan Williams and Matt Cravey, PhDs, choose all our cattle like that. I thought you were actually figuring out which strains are genetically the best and breeding for those. Well, we do. We have, we have two streams, so we're breeding for those, and then we send the semen back to individual ranchers so they can raise it our way. But we also buy from these people who are acceptable protocol. So thankfully, my wife Lisa's not here. She's a vegan, but she is not against capital punishment. So she'd, <laughs> she'd come after you. <laughs> on both counts. <laughs> it's hard to argue that beef is healthy. No. Uh, I, I understand the argument of, of why this beef is healthier than normal marbled beef that we have. But let's move away from the pure health issues, which we can debate ad sure, nauseum, sure. and talk about the economic viability of this process versus what's conventionally done. We've been pretty aggressive on the program in arguing that the conventional way in which we grow beef in this country is wasteful. Uh, it's the biggest source of potable water use. Uh, there's a lot of methane released into the environment, which is a, a pollutant that we don't deal with. Um, it also sends the wrong economic incentives down the path. If we took away all the subsidies that go into the process, the price of a pound of meat would be you know, upwards of $90. Mm-hmm. I've seen in several large reports. So I wonder if what you're doing is a, is a more sustainable way for this nation uh, to, to grow meat. We're limited only by the amount of grass in the country. Mm-hmm. You can concentrate cattle in the paddocks and the feedlots and grow more. Mm-hmm. But they're not as healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bad for the animals in the humane uh, condition. It's not good for the environment for all the reasons that you have uh, listed. And economically, we're not that far apart. You're right. $200 billion in a subsidy goes to corn farmers, mm. primarily to keep the price of corn cheap. Now it's being thrown to the winds by ethanol. $200 billion? Yeah, yeah. And a $400 billion package farm bill. 
We've got to change that. Otherwise, it will perpetuate the wrong kind of food that we are, and we've got to break that. So what's, what's the argument for keeping it? None except making money. And there are powerful lobbies and special interests out there that want to write it. You know, it goes back to Roosevelt's New Deal. Mm-hmm. And they threw money at farmers because they wanted to keep eating during the uh, Depression. Right. But the five big staples, corn, cotton, sugar. And the problem is, uh, the plan was they were going to switch that when they were stable again, but they never did. Right. Of course, when you have the money coming in, you don't want to let it go. And now... We're still paying the richest farmers right. to do nothing. And we're holding falsely up these markets. And so grass-fed beef has to be given a chance. Now, we're not asking for a subsidy. We get nothing. Hmm. We're out there creating a market, growing the grass, and we're solar farmers and putting the cattle on that meat. And, you know, your vegan wife yeah. should rethink, because she's right not to eat red meat as you and other doctors recommend. But if you study the grass-fed benefits, I think a lot of people are looking for it because she needs protein someplace. We grew up, you know, Lauren Cordain and the paleo diet, Mm -hmm. um, very strong on the diet that says we grew up on nuts and berries and wild game. That's Mm -hmm. all Mm grass-fed. And that our bodies are still craving it, but the diets have changed. We've taken out the omega-3, which is associated with freshness, for shelf life. Mm -hmm. We have to get back to fresh foods and what our diet demands. We have a lot more questions to get to, but first, a quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. 
So let me, let me broaden the discussion now. You, you mentioned uh, earlier on that 15 years ago, you started to sound the alarm on global warming. Yet there's still a debate out there about whether this is even real or not. Is there any debate in your mind? Not in mine. 99% of all the scientists then agreed that we're creating these problems. You know, there are a few, but it's almost like a science debate on how much or the, uh, the effect of it um, and what it's going to be. Uh, for instance, I saw a report the other day that methane has actually gone down. Why? I mean, we have more cows than ever. Why is methane going down? We, we just don't know a lot of the answers. We need a Manhattan Project, right. a task force to, one, get everybody on the same page and let's agree on something, and then let's do something about it. I'm selling carbon credits of my ranch. You are. A prairie that has not been plowed has more diversity in plants than a rainforest. Is that right? It has more carbon in the biomass under the soil uh, roots that go down 10, 15 feet than a rainforest. So it should be preserved, and we can sell those credits. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, you've, you've traveled all over the world, gathering up insights of the nature that you just mentioned, and you've tried to bring back some of these insights with action steps. And I wanted to just pepper some of these ideas out there for listeners who, who are figuring out how to make their arguments intellectually for themselves as they figure out how to help with this debate. So a lot of folks say, you know, I'm going to go buy a, a, a Lexus, you know, with a you know, electric motor, or I'll, I'll figure out some way of using less energy. Good, bad, worthless, the, the essential goal for the future. What do you think? Every little thing you do, you must downsize. We must all downsize. Mm -hmm. Somebody gave me an Audi to drive for six months. They had everything on it. Right. Supposedly, uh, sort of the luxury car of SUVs. The minute I had to turn it in, I went and bought a Volkswagen. It had <laughs> almost all the features. It was smaller and drove easier. Right. Got better mileage, and I felt better about myself. I downsized. Um, just being smart about the food we buy. Mm -hmm. You know, the organic section in most supermarkets is growing at 20% a year. Mm -hmm. People want to eat healthy, and so they are choosing the right foods. Uh, if you'll notice, everything seems to be changing to green. Right. Uh, the nice thing is that it is now the new black. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You have to be in. And you're yeah. in the green city here in Chicago. Right. Uh, we have rooftop gardens and uh, soon to, to have uh, hopefully solar panels. So the more we buy those items, uh, the more there will be and the cheaper they will be. It's really, um, you know, you act locally, but more than that, you act individually. It's a change in heart. I am afraid that we won't have enough action until there is a real crisis. Now, we're having crises like Katrina, right. uh, which carries a message, like a drought in the West, another message. But there are people who say, well, these are seasonal, climatic surprises here and there. And it may be. It may be, uh, but the scary thing for me was Lonnie Thompson, who was uh, an ice core scientist out of uh, Ohio State. He played a big role in Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. Mm -hmm. And he, he said, uh, if you what, go... What, what's an ice core scientist? They... He goes to uh, glaciers and uh, high elevations of mountains, drills a well and comes out with an ice core and then measures the amount of carbon dioxide within the bubbles caught in the ice. Got it. He's now back 200, 400,000 years, maybe even further. At the beginning of the Industrial Age, let, let's say we had a one reading of mm -hmm. carbon dioxide. 
When they started measuring it in 1958 in Hawaii, let's say it was up to 2.5. It's now 3.5. Hmm. He said it's going to double in 20 years. Oh, my goodness. Maybe less. At what point in there does the system restructure itself? Those are the most frightening words I had heard. Restructure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like breathing oxygen. I don't know about you. <laughs> but are we going to turn it all on its end? Um, to me, that's what's frightening. Now that you've gotten fear as a primary emotion from, from most of the listeners, including me, let's talk about what makes sense to lobby for. Nuclear power, good or bad? Good. Uh, it's clean. And it is possible to have safe nuclear reactors. Uh, I'll let you read further on the Internet on that. We developed it, and we sold the technology to Japan. Mm-hmm. But France has done it all over the country. And it is possible that when there is a problem, instead of it bursting and a leak of radiation that goes out like Chernobyl, incidentally, I was the first American reporter into Chernobyl. Is that why you're um, glowing now? Yeah, I am. <laughs> With two heads, six <laughs> fingers. Um, that the plant actually shuts itself down instead of blowing up. Right. Uh, people don't know about that because people are crazy against nuclear power. I mean, it, it absolutely is a code for a lot of people. Trigger point. Well, there's a good friend of mine, uh, Admiral Skip Bowman, yeah. who actually had uh, Admiral Rickover's position as head mm. of the nuclear weapons for the Navy, sort of the, the nation's... Uh, leader in, in the military for this process. And now he works uh, in this endeavor. I've learned a lot about it from him. It seems like that should be where he puts an emphasis. You, you mentioned France. 75% of all France's energy is nuclear. Yeah. So yeah. since we've got a lot of pretty smart people who think it makes sense, and there's some smart people who think it doesn't. I understand mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since there are a lot that think that it does make sense, why do we make no progress on it? Why hasn't there been a nuclear plant built in this country, what, 30 years? Yeah. Well, it's the lobby, and it's the fight against it, and it's emotional. But I think we've got to come around to clean, uh, environmentally sustainable sources. And that's one for me. You mentioned ethanol as a source for, uh, for energy, good or bad? Short term, uh, because it takes so much fossil fuel to produce the ethanol. What it will do is make us not dependent on foreign oil. Right. Uh, but people should remember that phrase. We're trying to get away from foreign oil, but... This actually is not that good for the environment. Uh, the switchgrass, do you know much about that? know a lot about switchgrass. That's what I feed uh, the cattle. Oh, yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, along with big blue stem and all the native grasses. It's good if we could go to that as a biofuel. That would be terrific because we wouldn't be taking corn, which could feed the world and using it as our fuel. So of all the things that I've, I've mentioned, with the exception of using less, which I think categorically has to be number one in most people's minds, uh, which is, where would you put your bet as, a, as the best solution to reverse this alarming increase in carbon dioxide? My favorite is solar, solar power. I'm making my ranch uh, a sustainable ranch, a model ranch. Solar now cells can be worked in as shingles. Mm-hmm. So you can run your air conditioning, you know, and your television set from solar power. You can get on the grid, we can start generating our own electricity and our power uh, to contribute to the whole source and and bring down the use, the need for giant plants to generate so much. Uh, the fear, of course, is China. Yes. China's going to go oil right. and that's <laughs> going to pollute the world. 
Yeah, it is. But the call that they're using now is mm-hmm. quite the I've, I've been impressed at how much media attention there is now on the quality of life drop in China due mm-hmm. to native pollutants. When I was there, I didn't find any environment at all. Right. Well, there were, you know, now you're on probably one and a half billion people. Yeah, they are in every corner. And where they're not living, mm-hmm. they're cultivating. Right. So what do you think is going to happen? And why would they listen? Here we, We've spent 50 years not listening to the world complain about our practices of production of products and our energy consumption. Why, why would China listen to us now? Aren't they going to argue that just like we were going through an incredible yeah. growth spurt for several decades, they have to go through that spurt before they can get smarter energetically? Yes, and most of the um, problems are coming from the developing world. And they say, you got yours. You know, how can you now ask us not to get ours? Um, A lot of them are smarter than we are and maybe jumping over us uh, to the alternate sources of energy. China won't listen to us. It will take a catastrophe to convince them, I'm sure. Define catastrophe. Loss of life. Uh, Paul Ehrlich, population bomb, which has not really uh, turned out uh, just a little bit, but uh, he and his wife were predicting... um, famine of 400 million in the world. We're having a famine. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not going to be able to feed everybody. It's going to take something like that. The planned parenthood of one child in China actually worked, and uh, they can't afford. If they they said, okay, you can have two children, that's three billion people in the course of nine months. Um, (laughs) That's serious. Yeah, well, if you look around the world and you've traveled far and wide, who do you think does it best? Who's got it worked out that's not, you know, perhaps already in the very advanced stages of Western civilization, Uh perhaps sort of an intermediate economy? Well, France, certainly for energy. Mm -hmm. You look at some of the the younger one and highly educated countries. Brazil is good. Mm -hmm. You know, Brazil is already into an ethanol. Right. um, Not from corn. Right but uh, from the switchgrass and biofuel. So if it's economically viable, if they can make money on it and clean up at the same time, that's the key. And look at grass-fed beef. Right. <laughs> well, you know, we've got to make money to be successful, but we can make money and we can make more. And as soon as the rest of the restaurants learn that they can charge more right. for this product, they're going to they're gonna embrace it. It's for really, most folks, I think they're price insensitive. I, I, I bet you most folks do it just for the novelty, as long as it tastes uh-huh. good. Yeah. Uh, but there is a whole group that wants to eat healthy, mm-hmm. and they will seek us out. We're in Swedish Covenant Hospital. Hospital. You are. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're in the Cancer Treatment Center of the North Shore. Uh, we're at the Northbrook uh, Junior High School. These people are dedicated. They've been convinced by their nutritionists that they will see the end result being positive, even to better grades. But you think others will do it? I think so. And everybody is looking at us. And what, and what does organic mean then? Just no, no, no antibiotics and no hormones? And no herbicides used on your pasture for three years before you can be a categorized organic. Uh, it's a little difficult for us. We have some noxious weeds that we have to spray for. So we fall into the natural category. Everything else organic except for the herbicide used and pesticide. Talk a lot about some of the, the challenges that this country faces. It's just as last question to Bill Curtis. What are you proudest of that we've accomplished uh, over the last 40 years of your career covering this nation? Uh, the longevity, extension of life. Mm. And that's in your bailiwick. Yep. Um, and we have to wake ourselves up in terms of our own health. But I think the consciousness now is rising like a tide. Uh, the natural movement of healthy food 
is going to waft over us until we'll look at the old days as crazy. Bill Curtis, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.